Hey everybody, this is S. Anthony Thomas. This is the S. Anthony Thomas Show. And I got to talk to another legend this week. I got to talk to another legend. This time it's Big Daddy Graham. I've known him for years. He's a great guy. And he's been he's performed well over 7,000, probably 8,000 shows at comedy clubs, colleges, corporate and private parties, sports banquets, golf outings, fundraisers in the tri-state area, and other places as well. He's been around. And he's been successful. He's been killing it for a long time. And he's currently the host on the number one sports talk radio station in America, 94 WIP in Philly. Folks, this week, Big Daddy Graham. Are you ready? Of course you are. Let's do it. All right, everybody. I told you on this show, I'm going to have on the people I like the most. Uh, the people I find the most interesting. And I'm going to talk to you this week about a guy that I've known for a long period of time. He was very, very kind to me back in the day. He worked a lot of the same clubs. I know a lot of you know who he is. If you listen to 94 WIP, if you listen to the classic rock throwdown with Spence Knightley, you know who this man is. Ladies and gentlemen, my special guest, Mr. Big Daddy Graham. Yeah, wow. Great to talk to you, Steve. Uh, we go back to the uh, legendary comedy factory outlet, correct? Uh, as a matter of fact, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, that makes us old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what the funny thing is, uh, especially when I talk to guys like you that I've known uh, from a, for a long, long time. Um, when you when we met, I was seventeen years old. Um, oh, so I had probably like about nine years on you. Yeah, somewhere I, in there, right? Wow. <laughs> so you started early. Good for you. I yeah. wish I would have started that early. There's yeah. a whole lot of stuff in my life at the moment that I, I wish I would have started earlier. But, you know, looking back on things, uh, I love these people that you see them get interviewed and the interviewer will go, uh, looking back in their life, any regrets? And they always go, no. I would do the same. And I look at these people and I go, you're freaking lying. There's just no way that you would do everything the same. I can't tell you, I would do half the things. Hold on. I would do uh, half the things differently uh, today. I would have, <laughs> if I would have known back then. I just, I just would have. I tell you, well, I tell you the truth. You know, it's like uh, I can relate to that because I, I, when I sit back at, as a fifty-year-old guy. Uh, <laughs> and you look back at some of the things you did back in the past, your first thought is, God, that, that young me was stupid. <laughs> well, no doubt that. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Everybody's that. Mm -hmm. Everybody's stupid when they're young. So I don't, uh, I don't get on my case for that because everyone is, but I get on my case for not having the confidence or the awareness you know, I, I started, like, writing kind of seriously <laughs> maybe about 10 years ago. You know, I, I wrote this book about my dad, and I wrote a book with my Mac now, which we're writing another one. We get to sign and sit to like a uh, volume two of the great book of the Lefty Sports List. And then this paper down the shore, you know, a Seattle City paper, which... You know, a small town Jersey Shore thing uh, asked me to write for them. And it, it got like insanely popular. And that led to me writing for another Jersey Shore paper in South Jersey Mag. Uh, now I write the back page for them. They're a once a month publication. 
A lot of the skills that you had, with because uh, you did the, the play uh, Last Call, Remembering My Dad. Right. And I remember I remember and hearing I about that when I came back. I did a Christmas last Christmas. Should have done it this Christmas, too. I just, I just did it. It wasn't like I wasn't busy. Uh, I just, and then I, I left and right people been social media and me, 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 <laughs> saying, you know, uh, what are you doing the Christmas show this year? And I'm not. Mm-hmm. I should have been in a, I think that's one of the best things I've ever wrote. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I wish I, uh, I wish I would have wrote right from the beginning. I, I wonder where, I wonder where, to, where it all would have went. Really, I wonder where it all would have went. Well, let me ask you this, because because you, you, you were good, you were very, you were really, really, really good comic when I started. So, and so. No, I wasn't. No, you, I, I thought you were. <laughs> uh, I look back, uh, I mean, I was like packing them in mm-hmm. because I, uh, because John DeBella, uh, started playing these little songs that I wrote, mm-hmm. uh, nuns, let's start with nuns. I, 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 I'm doing nuns at the Comedy Factory now, but, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a real, like, show-style performing. This is back when I really wasn't even doing stand-up. It was mostly song, the song, the song, the song. I don't even do music anymore. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I didn't do any stand-up. It was pretty much all song, the song, the song. We were talking in between songs. And uh, I, I wrote this thing called Nuns. And uh, John the Ballad, it started hosting Friday Nights down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember he that. Me, he said to me, uh, you know, if, if I could play that, I'd play it. So I literally just got together some great musicians and ran some studio time and made a record, made a vinyl 45 of nuns and treated John Jordan played it and it was like this big, you know, when I say big hit, you know, it's not Jay-Z or, you know, Pearl Jam, uh, but it was a novelty hit in Philly and I sold a lot of copies of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of how it just that that started. Uh, so I'm writing that stuff. Uh, I, I forget why they even bring up the Comedy Factory. I mean, you got to keep track of this stuff, Steve. Oh, I know exactly I why you you, you you brought up the Comedy Factory outlet because that's where we met. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, you said I was really good. I look back on it, and 
to say, I've done seven, 8,000 shows as Big Danny Graham in my career. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a nervous wreck before every one of them. But the, back then, it was a real nervous wreck. So much so, that when I got on stage, I was tight. I, 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 if you came to the 8.30 show, you pretty much saw the same thing at the 11 o'clock show. And I know there's a lot of performers you can say that about, but uh, mine were above and beyond the normal. I mean, I just said, uh, it was tight. I wish I was as good then as I am now. Well, unfortunately, my friend... The two great ones, I believe, are good pretty much right away. And when that kind of thing starts happening to them, uh, which what was happening there is packing the room in because the dollar was playing. Nuns, let's call them sick, walk on the mile side. Because they had success playing nuns, I started recruiting other stuff. And it made me, uh, you know, a reasonable big deal here in the uh, 30 area. So I'm talking to men, I wish I was as good as I am now when I was packing them in then. I'm still doing good as far as bringing in audiences. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back then it was insane. It was, you know, two shows Friday night, three shows Saturday night. Yeah, I remember. All of them packed lines. <laughs> I, I would walk out the door, you know, between shows, and it, it was like you were a rock star. You know, mm-hmm. people got, hey, big daddy, can you help me out? We were all the way down from Phoenixville and sold out. You know, stuff like that. It was hysteria. And, and uh, I just want to say one you thing to you, though. I just want to say, I just want to say one thing to you. I just want to say that uh, if, uh, because I was on a lot of those shows with you, thanks a lot for the big audiences. <laughs> okay. Uh, I would have been better. That's what I'm doing anymore. I'm, I, I, I don't enjoy, because I'm still doing neat stuff. I'm still in the air. I'm, I had a comedy show at night. I'm mm-hmm. writing. Uh, I, I, I just, I need to stop dwelling on what I didn't do when I was 30. survive that table <laughs> i mean it's like is uh, how many people could survive at that table i mean really <laughs> you know oh yeah with that yeah, <laughs> yes right. it's like I mean, it's not pepper i think it might be like revolver or rubber soul but uh mm-hmm. whatever that's the story and i uh, i i love that story but it's true mm-hmm. uh that so many of the greats are great like 
You know, I had breakfast with Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. and I had no idea, nobody had any idea it was Dave Chappelle. Too. Somebody called me recently. The Comedy Factory outlet ended up opening up a club in Baltimore. Yes, indeed. And he had me open, you know, be the opening headliner of that weekend. Mm-hmm. And after the opening show on Friday night, we all went to this diner. It was like 20 of us went to this diner, you know, to eat, to celebrate the opening of the club and everything. And, uh, and somebody recently said, you know, David Chappelle was at that diner with us. And I went, no, that would have made him like 15, but it was him. Because <laughs> that's how he was from that area. He's from the D.C. Baltimore area. Mm-hmm. And like all comics, he was looking for just any club to even hang around. Mm-hmm. So here this club was opening, and there he was just hanging around. He didn't get on stage or anything. Mm-hmm. And then he went out to the breakfast with us. I think, you know, knowing Clay Erie, he probably had him sitting people at tables or something. <laughs> uh, but somebody recently, I say recently, within the last couple of years, mm-hmm. called me up and said, you know, Chappelle was with us that night. And then, you know, you read up, I don't know Dave Chappelle, but, you you know, I did a little reading up on him. Yeah, he started when he was like 15, Mm -hmm. you know. Why am I going on and on about this? Because I'm obsessed with getting older. (laughs) I hate it. I can relate to it. Like I said, I hit the big 5-0 not too long ago. So I I get it. That's a bad one. (laughs) Uh, The the 5-0 kind of really depressed me. (laughs) You know, you know. And I turned, I, I turned other numbers I usually just walk up and slap them. <laughs> I usually just walk up and slap them when I hear them say that. When they say, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll take up that practice. That's just a tip. You got to be able to run fast, though. That's that's, that's the key. You got to slap and then <laughs> well, start running. that ain't me anymore. <laughs> well, it, it, it's over for me, too. I'm lucky to be alive. I've had three back surgeries, cancer, a stroke. Uh, I've, I've had everything thrown at me. Yeah. I, I should be dead. Yeah, because when, when I, I come on, this is your show. You're supposed to be asking me questions. Yeah, I heard because no. when I heard you on the radio, I, I didn't even know what the hell because they they were talking about you were you you didn't say what what had what was wrong with you at the time on the air because I I did listen to and I do listen to you on the uh, ninety four WIP and this uh, and and I didn't know you were sick until you know much much later you know I had no idea. You know, and you just yeah, well, I have a I have an email that I printed out and saved. Uh, it was a really weird thing. Um, I was you know to make a long story short. Somehow the news broke because I certainly didn't give it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so somehow the news broke that I had cancer, and it broke late at night because I'm a late at night guy. Mm-hmm. And, but now you got dot coms everywhere and three dot com, uh, posted it. Uh, in fact, it ended up on the front page of the Daily News, a little square, which I thought was odd, but Big Daddy has the big C. Typical of a newspaper, like the Daily News. They still come up with a little pun. Yeah. Big Daddy has the big C. Uh, but anyway, it hits 
before it hit anywhere else because online it hit the West Coast. Mm-hmm. In other words, if it hit here at 1 a.m., well, it was only 10, 10 p.m. in L.A. And I have a lot of friends in L.A. I'm like a ton. Mm-hmm. And so the way it was presenting, it was like I had died. Yeah. Anyway, I had a, a great email. Uh, I mean, who would send me an email like this? Big Daddy, I just got a phone call from a friend saying that you would have passed away. So I can let him write you. Are you dead? <laughs> <laughs> and I was in this email going, well, if I was, I wouldn't be able to return this email, would I? Who sent me an email like that? <laughs> are, are you dead? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're really good. Now, that's a good trick. Now, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a good trick. That's a good trick. Let me, let me, I, can I, I, I want to ask you this, because uh, I, uh, cause, cause I know you as a stand-up, and I know you as the, uh, the radio host in the 94 WIP. I wear Yeah, but, but the thing was, this is what I'm curious about, because I wanted to do, you're talking about regrets, and I wanted to do a play a long time ago, but you got to do the one, and I know this is, this is the obviously super personal one about your father. How does that feel to do that? when you compare the feeling of being on stage doing that type of show versus when you do the stand-up? Because obviously you got seven, seven, six, seven, eight thousand stand-up performances, but you don't get to do as, you didn't get to do as many performances of that show. I so enjoyed it. I really did. And now I did a lot of plays before I got into stand-up. Mm. And I was never nervous before those. I couldn't wait to get to the theater. And I was a drummer in bands. That was the very first thing I did. I couldn't wait to get to the club. Uh, it's only stand-up that's so frightening mm. that uh, puts me in that kind of a mood. But the uh, theater was great. Doing that show about my dad was great. Doing the uh, A Row Home Christmas mm-hmm. was great. Now I had some normal adjutor over whether or not I'm going to remember my lines mm-hmm. and that. Something up the stage, 
Let the comic handle it first. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you might get some ass out of that. Mm. Well, that's what I was bad at. I, I was horrible with that. Uh, so much so that I developed a show that was so rapid fire that I didn't leave room for them. Boom, 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 boom. And if I felt like there was a crowd that had been acting, acting before me, then I would edit my show on the fly. Mm-hmm. If there was a joke that had a longer setup, out. I didn't do it. A longer setup would give uh, an ordinary, heckling kind of a crowd more space to do that to you. Yeah. So if it had a long setup, gone. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was a joke that uh, I knew only scored with at the crowd often, but I loved the joke so much, I didn't mind when he scored with half the crowd because mm-hmm. the other half really dug it. And, you know, you, you have an obligation to uh, make everybody laugh. All right, so maybe at the room you know, laugh at this particular joke. They might laugh at the next one. And <laughs> But if it was that kind of a joke, well, I knew from experience that uh, it was a hit or miss kind of a thing, but if it the people that hit with it was great. I didn't do it in front of a heckling crowd. In front of a heckling crowd, it was bang, 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 bang. So you ask me what's the difference between uh, me doing Last Call or Love Home Christmas was, well, you don't have to worry about that. People don't yell at the actors at theater. Mm-hmm. It's only comedy, Steve. It's so bizarre. <laughs> now, it's got to be acceptable in the world of comedy. If I was, you know, the town of Tommy, I would have never allowed that to happen. It can I be mean, interesting. I would go to a club to listen to some jerkweed yelling stuff up at the comic. I'm glad he the comic. I never understood that. I mean, uh. <laughs> it's very bizarre. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, the I'm be- telling you, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, last night I did a show. I actually there were about 400 people there, and mm-hmm. I was the reason why I bought a ticket. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not going to get hecklers anyway. You know, I'm so well known in this area. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even with a crowd like that, it only takes one woman who's maybe brought a date for the first time, or vice versa, and then bringing a the girl over, who don't know me. Usually they get drunk and shit faced, and they start yelling stuff out. You just never freaking know. <laughs> but you do that with theater. That if anybody yelled something out at an actor, they would be removed immediately. Mm-hmm. It's kind of relaxing knowing that, isn't it? Not encouraged to do it. <laughs> they would be told to leave. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's it. That's right. You ask me what's the difference? That's the big difference. We'll be back right after this short message. And now back to the show. No fear. Yeah, it, it it's got to be relaxing because I've I've only uh, I, I took some theater class and did some short things, and there's still a part of me because I remember uh, uh, at the at the CFO, uh, first show Friday, third show Saturday, you had a higher probability of uh, <laughs> of the type of action that you were just describing. The worst show imaginable was always the last show Friday, mm-hmm. and it, it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The reason why it was the worst show is that a big percentage of that audience had gone to work that day. Mm-hmm. 
anything. Those people have been getting up at 7 o'clock, 6.30, 7.30. And by the time I'm hitting the stage at 12.15 a.m., you've been up a long time. And when you're up a long time, you can tend to get ornery. That's the difference between a Friday night late show and a Saturday night late show. Hmm. The crowd that's at the Saturday night late show has slept in. They're not getting up at 7 o'clock because they're not working on Saturday. So they get to sleep in, maybe they don't roll out of bed to 10. And it makes a huge difference. But I, I, I would bet you to say, although I've had very few bad run-ins with helpers over the years, mm-hmm. uh, almost every one of them was late show Friday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and obviously no clubs even do late show Fridays. It's weird. Some of the one show on Friday. At, yeah, at some of the places I was I was playing uh, it was like one show Friday, two show Saturdays, one show Sunday. And it's just kind of a weird. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of well, a weird combination. Comedy. I don't do comedy clubs anymore, though. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time now since I've uh, done comedy clubs. I'm pretty. Um, I do like these big event shows with mm-hmm. Conklin, and uh, and then I do like what I did last night, which was that. Uh, you know, some place that would have a wedding. But this particular group was having a big fundraiser, so it was in this big room with about 400 people, and, and that's kind of what I do. Mm-hmm. I, I'm uh, a pretty much private party comic. I do one comedy club at the Doylestown Comedy Cabaret. Good stuff. And I do it once a year. Mm-hmm. And that's because I've had a long relationship with the owner. And I really like the club, and I'm, uh, I'm doing the door, uh, so it feels like uh, a concert more to me than doing a uh, comedy club. It's also a good club, too. Like one show Friday, two shows Saturday, one show Sunday. Yeah. I haven't done that in years. And Doyle's Town's a good place. Doyle's Town's a good place. I like that place. I like it's that a good place. place. Is that, yeah, Doyle's Town. I like that place. It is. Yeah, I got some. All I, the others, you know. <laughs> Northeast. Not, in, not into the, uh, you know, one show Friday, two show Saturday. That's <laughs> just not me. Yeah, after and a while. I'm older now. The comedy clubs are genuinely frequent. If you had to pick an age, 30 is couples. Hmm. If, if you had to uh, pick an age, that's what it would be now. There were a ton of 30 is couples at the show last night, and I killed, but. It's just different. Anyway, I... It, it, well, it, I, I mean, it, it, was, it was... The people that were at the, the outlet, it was... It, it had... It, it seems to be the... It seems to be the median age uh, that we would... If, if yeah, I remember correctly... I was that age. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. It, it was just... Okay. It was, it was, just, it was an interesting time. I'm getting on stage now. You know, I used to color my hair. And I stopped coloring my hair, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that when I get on stage now, I'm the old guy. Uh, the hair is like a billboard. Ed, when I get on stage, I'm the old guy. Great hair. People <laughs> always are telling me that. Mm. Uh, but it's white. Mm. And there's no doubt that when I get on stage, for, for some people out in the audience, that's, who, that's, that's the first thing I have to conquer, is mm. I'm the old guy. Mm-hmm. And I have to prove to that younger guy, okay, yeah, I'm the old guy, but just give me a minute, and I'll have you laughing as hard as the uh, 
much younger guy who came on before me. Mm. But you definitely have to, you know, I, I try to prove that immediately as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to think I'm uh, some hack, you know, uh, going up there. I'm very, I, I'm a terrible older person. I, I'm very vain. You think I'm a woman. <laughs> I, I, I'm very careful with how I dress. Uh, I, I, I just don't want, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the guy who's trying to look way younger than he is, mm -hmm. which is why I stopped buying my hair. But on the other end of the spectrum, I don't want to dress the way a lot of people my age dress either. So it's like this, I wear all black. You can never go wrong. <laughs> you know well, the thing is if you just if you if the thing is if you pick a look if you pick a look that's distinctly you if you pick a look that's distinctly you then it, you can you can ride it out you know because like if you, you know Frank you know when you look cover the way Frank Sinatra would dress or somebody like that you know you can always get away with a certain look it, it doesn't matter who's out in the audience once you pick it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, well, is there a better example than that? <laughs> it's 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 I mean, but I mean that's a good example of somebody who you know goes look this is what I wear this is what I do that's it shut up and listen dooby dooby doo you know this is yeah, like, that's right. yeah. Yeah, well I, you know I eventually do get to that mm -hmm. the point in my show I just I just make sure the beginning of my show I mean, this is kind of where it's always been anyway but even more so now I make sure the beginnings of my shows bang 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 and get that out of the way that I'm the older guy and then you're not going to laugh this hard I let people know within the first three minutes that yeah they're going to laugh real hard that's one of the first I, I'm conscious of my hair mm -hmm. and uh, I, I get that out of the way that's one of the best skills to have uh, that's one of the first and most important skills to have as a comic is the ability to just grab this to grab the steering wheel immediately you know yeah. And and let it, I'm not, you know. I've been blessed with. I was always a, I got a loud voice. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always been fortunate in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can come out very explosively, and generally do. Mm -hmm. Generally do. I don't like build as the show goes on. I hit at a very high pace and manage to keep that high pace. And I'm and I'll give myself some credit here. Mm -hmm. I still am. Yeah. I'm still keeping that high pace up. Well, well how how are the how are the uh, two funny Philly guy shows going with Conklin? We keep selling them out. It's so bizarre, uh, and we're playing like thousand seaters. Mm -hmm. And we'll be at the Broadway Theater in Pittman, February sixteenth, and that's a thousand seats. And we just at the Media Theater. We sold that out. Uh, we. And we're coming up on 10 years now. Mm -hmm. A guy who worked at the Pagata a long time ago it wanted to book a specific Philly show because mm -hmm. he was from Philly. We're Atlantic City. You know, they got to walk that Philly New York line mm -hmm. down there. Uh, and I actually came up with the idea of calling it Two Funny Philly Guys, mm -hmm. uh, which this guy at the Pagata loved. And that's where it started with one show at the Pagata. And it just kept morphing. It's not that we do a lot. We really only do four or five of those shows a year. Mm -hmm. 
wants it to media theater, wants it to Colonial, wants it to Broadway. We need to do something during the summer. But the reason why I find it unbelievable is, God, you've had, and I'm not kidding, literally, thousands of opportunities to see me or Cochran over the years. To, you know, there was something about two funny theory guys seeing us together that for some reason sold tickets. Even though, it, like I kept thinking, well, has anybody seen who the two funny theory guys are? You've seen us. Thank God you've seen us. I don't want this to shock you or anything, but uh, you and Conklin are kind of popular out there. I think we are. popular than there's. Generally speaking, the overwhelming majority of time, the people that are playing those theaters that I just mentioned mm-hmm. might do those theaters, might do the area, excuse me, not the theater, might come into Philly once or twice a year, mm-hmm. okay? Take something like Dom Iwer. Mm-hmm. Dom goes into the, the, the helium once a year, mm-hmm. goes into the Tropicana once a year, that's all he's doing. Uh, you know, where, you know, yeah, we're doing the 223 shows, but I'm going to be doing probably, God knows how many shows between right now and February 16th in the area, which is not what Don mm-hmm. or a touring musician does. A touring musician hits a town once a year, mm-hmm. maybe twice a year, right? Correct. Where I, I, I'll say, I, you know, I'm still doing, you know, 7,500 shows a year strictly in this area. So that's why I'm surprised that we've been uh, pulling those numbers in. Well, here's... Here's some. Here's a comparison for you. There's this team called the Philadelphia Eagles, and they play, <laughs> and they play eight times a year every year the same sport. But people like them. See them again. You know that they, they like you. You I mean you've been around here for a long time. You work your ass off on the stage. So does Joe. You know, and and that's that's the thing. You're on the radio. You got the the WIP show. You got the classic rock throwdown. People, when people hear you on a regular basis, they start to like you, and they like you a lot because yeah, they can it. hear I, you. You know what? Let, let me just end it then by saying, um, and this is sort of like show business horseshit <laughs> talk, uh, but I really am incredibly grateful mm-hmm. uh, that anyone is still coming out to see us at all. Mm-hmm. I, I am so grateful for that. I guess that's what I really meant to say. So, oh no, I was I was just teasing you. But and the only reason I say that is because, you know, and the way and the way the way I heard it was you were surprised, but I could tell that you were grateful in your voice, and anybody listening to you could tell that you you were grateful that the people were coming. I just I just feel like breaking your stones a little bit because. What you do? We're both from Philly. That's what happens. (laughs) All right, you know that's what we do to each other. But I mean, but the thing about it is, is that when people come, it's, it's it's a weird thing when people listen to you on a regular basis, you know, radio and podcasting. When they hear you on a regular basis, you're in their ear all the time. There's an attachment to you that I didn't understand until I started doing this, and all of a sudden, you know, people listen to you on a regular basis, and when they like you, they really like you, and they want to see you again and again and again. It's just fun being in the room. 
keep it reasonably fresh, mm-hmm. you, uh, you can't do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, with you and your podcast, it's, you know, you're home free. Mm-hmm. You're interviewing somebody mm-hmm. different all the time. Yeah. So that in itself makes the show different. Yeah, because... Uh, okay, uh, Lenny Bruce once said, writing 10 minutes of brand new killer material is the equivalent of writing a book. Yeah. And I, he's pretty damn close to right. He's, he's, yeah. And, you know, just getting 10 minutes of really good killer stuff. Especially when you're learning how to do it. Especially when you're especially when a lot of work. So, yeah, uh, podcasting is different. Well, the way you're doing interviewing people, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't have to worry about uh, not being fresh because you got a different guest. Hey, you know, that the, we'll keep it fresh. You know what's hilarious though? This is my what? second podcast. On this one, I interview people. My original podcast, which I still do, is. Uh, New comedy material every week for the past five years. <laughs> I've done yeah. 344 episodes. Huh? Then I will tell you that it's it's more you rattling off observations. Mm-hmm. Some may be funny, some may just be that. Yeah, it's not the same as stand up, no. Observations. The difference is. Mm-hmm. There's nobody out there in an audience waiting to pounce on you if that odd observation isn't funny or doesn't connect. Yeah. It's just, I do that on my radio show a lot. Mm-hmm. So stuff out that I would never do on stage. That's what's good about There's being... There's a difference between a joke that you do on the air mm-hmm. and a joke that you do on stage. Huge difference. Now, sometimes you come up with a real winner and it's funny on the air, and it's great on stage as well. Mm-hmm. Anything that's great on stage is going to be funny on the air as well, but not the other way around. No, yeah, because uh, I think... Something funny, something funny on the air will not necessarily get big laughs uh, on a live stage. No, it will not. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I put... I put it this way. The, the, like, doing the, other, the podcast where you do the comedy by itself is kind of like cooking a meal... And doing stand-up is like sculpting something, <laughs> you know, with a chisel. Uh, that's the. That's I, I don't even. I, you know, doing a blizzard, right? Uh, doing a blizzard, I bumped into uh, last week, and her son is now going to be doing stand-up, mm-hmm. or started to do it, and uh, he's like sixteen or whatever. And I said to uh, when Dina said, "Yeah, he's." He's doing stand-up. I looked at him and I went, Why? (laughs) (laughs) Run! Run! Do anything but. Run for a life of misery and heartbreak. (laughs) (laughs) It's so difficult. Unless you really score, Mm -hmm. you get good, you go to L.A., you get the sitcom, you get the movie, you know. uh, And you know what? I do know comics Mm -hmm. where... That didn't happen to them. You know, they moved to LA and they don't get the sitcom. Mm. They don't get the movie, so, but they're really good comics. But they spend their life on the road, mm. which I couldn't do. I hated the road. But there's just some comics. Don's one. Uh, he's built for the road. Loves it. Loves it. That's a different That's animal. In his life. That's a different uh, animal. He, he, he just loves that. Where me, I couldn't do it. 
Your second show, your your second show, classic rock throwdown with Spins Nightly. Tell everybody about that one. you know Some, you, but you incorporate some music into the 94 uh, WIP show too when I listen to I that you, you put the, when I the podcast the throwdown it pretty much morphed out of this thing I call the Big Daddy Diddy of the Night mm-hmm. where I usually use either a birthday or like say um, last week was the anniversary of Thriller coming out mm-hmm. so I played from Thriller now, it's a talk show station. So I only really play about a minute of a song. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk over it and, you know, remind people when it came out. And I'll give you, a, even in that minute, minute and a half, 
I will give you uh, some interesting piece of information about that song that hopefully you didn't know. And people really love uh, the Big Daddy Diddy of the Night. And that's how it morphed into uh, uh, the throwdown. It's just an hour-long version of mm -hmm. that. You know, so yeah, I do play music. And my audiences love it when I talk music. I've discovered over the years the, the same guy that's arguing over whether or not it's time to put Nick Foles back in the game, you know, <laughs> it's the same guy that'll argue over, or, you know, who's better, Eddie Van Halen or Jimmy Hendrix. It, it's, it's almost the same guy, mm. you know. Uh, so, it, it, and if you put it in that context, we're going to be playing the 10 best, then yeah. And even if we do the thing like 10 best songs with a woman's name in the title, it still works that way. The show will be over, and somebody will go, you never played that? No, the Beast Boys Wendy. What's up with that? You know, people get very possessive of the songs they love. And they want them to be properly saluted. Yeah, that's, it, that's the fun part of that. It's a built-in conversation that, starter. That, that place, Wildfire Radio, came to me, I think they originally wanted me to do a sports show, and I went, no, nah, I do that all week, and then they thought I would do comedy, I said, no, nah, I don't want to do that either, I do that all the time, let me do this music thing, mm -hmm. and uh, we had a good, like, three-year run with it, and I would still be on there, Wildfire wanted me to continue, I just, I, I got sick, like, in end of July, and I just had to cut back mm. on stuff I was doing. And you don't, well, at least I wasn't, and most people don't, make money to speak of with podcasts. Mm. So it got to the point where my wife was going, you know, uh, you got to cut out doing this stuff that's not making you money. Mm. Now that's an odd thing to say to an artist because... Most of us get into it with no idea of money at all. You know, when I started drumming in bands, money never even played into the equation. You just wanted to play so bad and be part of a band and score chicks after the show. And, you know, all this fun stuff that comes with a band. You're not thinking money. And it's the same thing with fear. It's the same thing with me. Uh, it works with everything that I do. But then lucky for me, I got to the point where I was making a decent dollar doing all these things. Mm -hmm. I did have to get to the point where I had to, I had to momentarily just step back a little bit. And so the stuff that I had to like somewhat eliminate doing was the least pain stuff, mm -hmm. which, I mean, I love doing that show, and I particularly love doing it with strings. But we'll do it again. We'll get it back up. Uh, like I said, people are only discovering now. I found out with podcasts, particularly mine, that people it takes them sometimes months to catch up. Yeah, I, I was just going. I was just going to tell you that because uh, I, I, when I started doing my original podcast in the beginning, the first five or six episodes. Um, no one listened. You look. I look at the stats, and there was almost zero. <laughs> you know. And then all of a sudden, very slowly, hundreds, thousands, and it just started to build up like that because it's they, it's like you have to think about every episode you drop as something that's you can't really pay attention to, to the final numbers. I mean, you see the first week what happens, but you kind of got to think about it in terms of a month 
for each particular episode because that's when you really get to see how many people really yeah, really paid you know attention what? to I it. never even looked at numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, the only number that really mattered, as far as this is concerned, was advertising dollar. Mm-hmm. That number, and uh, we did have advertisers. You know what? I don't want to get into this angle of it. Uh, yeah. uh, the podcast, I think, is a, a neat idea and a fun idea. And I'm glad I, uh, I'm glad I did it. And I'm going to continue to do it. Uh, I would bet you that within a month, a month and a half, it'll be back up. Okay. Uh, I'll get through the holidays and then uh, it'll be back up. Okay. Now, now, Ed, you told me that you, you, told me you, had, to, you had to take care of some business and to keep it to about 45 minutes. Okay, we're right yeah. around there. I can hang if if you got a couple more minutes. If you got to go, let me know. Well, give me a couple more questions. I'll okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I just wanted to ask you about the radio show, uh, and it's 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 an interesting thing because you 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 did the songs on the uh, on on WMMR, and 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 let me just explain because because there are people that are listening not just in in the United States. There are people that listen to this that are going to be in the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada. WMMR is a radio station in the Philadelphia area. Uh, it's huge. And definitely at the time, at that particular time, it was pulling down Cosby numbers. Cause I remember, <laughs> I remember how gigantic it, that was. Well, I'll give you the number. It was a 14 share, which is unheard of today. Yeah. Uh, well, no one will ever do that again. It was, it wasn't just number one. Let's put it, since you've brought up sports a couple times, mm-hmm. let's put it in this analogy. If, w, if WMMR was a baseball team, back then they were in first place by like 24 games. Yeah. Okay, most teams are usually in first by 3-4, not 23 or 24. In other words, second place was meaningless <laughs> uh, in the Philadelphia area back in MMR's heyday. And MMR is still on, it's still doing rather well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that particular, it was just a... Uh, perfect meeting it was uh, a, a new disc jockey uh, and it was the beginning of morning shows really getting together with the comedy clubs mm-hmm. because there were no comedy clubs before the 80s there weren't any mm-hmm. really literally it new was- york had a couple la had a couple there there weren't comedy clubs in altoona <laughs> You know, there weren't comedy clubs in Philadelphia, for crying out loud, mm-hmm. before the Comedy Factory Outlet and the Comedy Works. Yeah. They don't start to, like, 1980. Yeah. Right? So, there literally, there wasn't any. So, what happened was, when the comedy club explosion started happening, very quickly, the owners of these comedy clubs recognized, well, they should be advertising uh, on a morning show. Mm-hmm. And the morning show not only was getting advertising dollars, but the morning show would then also get the headlining comic of that week at the club to come in and do some stick. You know, hey, we're in a we're in the studio here with a you know Harry Anderson who used to work in Hamlet or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and Harry would do some stick and give away tickets and and the the combination of the two made the whole damn thing explode. And- it, it's like Dick Vital. <laughs> And the Big East, it's like Michael Jackson and MTV. Mm-hmm. It's like Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell. Uh, certain things bump, collide up against each other and make both of them way bigger than they ever would have been had they not been for the other one. 
And that's what happened with comedy clubs. Between morning shows and comedy clubs, it, it was just a can't-miss combination. It was the most amazing, because I, I started at the uh, C, uh, the Comedy Works in 86 and moved over to the CFO maybe four months later. And I had not seen anything like that open mic on Thursdays in my life. Uh, other places didn't have 160 people, <laughs> you know, at an open mic night. At open stage night? Yeah. I'd never no, seen anything you, you like generally that. Didn't. I never saw anything like that ever again. And the weekend shows, like in the beginning, obviously I worked the door and I did your sound for your songs and stuff like that and, and that kind of thing. And then I started working the weekends. I thought it was normal to have every show sold out. <laughs> I, mean, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, that's what I thought. I was 17 years old and every time I was stepped on stage, I never saw seats. <laughs> you, know? you know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, right? Yes. I I used to work at a comedy club down in Williamsburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. and that was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, except this particular engagement, they also had a college gig for me on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I went down there even a day earlier than I ordinarily did, okay? Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, uh, the comedy club is open on Thursdays, but they don't bring the headliner in to Friday. Thursdays is open stage night. Mm. Well, I got back from my uh, college gig and I'm staying at the hotel where the club is and I peeked in on the open stage night and it was your typical open stage night like about maybe six people in the audience <laughs> and 36 <laughs> comics hanging in the back. Okay? Yeah. And I, I swear to God, I, I, I poked my head in and just in time to see this comic get on stage, and his opening line was, he looks at the uh, six people in the audience, and he went, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I I think Jeffrey Dahmer ate more people than this. <laughs> I, I laughed so freaking hard that he had to reference me. He mm-hmm. went, well, I see that guy in the back thought it was funny. <laughs> I mean, it was, Jeffrey Dahmer ate more people than this. It's it was it was the uh, most we we had a unique experience in this city because when I went up to New York and the, and the comics up there uh, would always go, "Hey man, would you like down in Philly?" And I would go, "Dude, we get a hundred and something people on an open," and nobody believed me. <laughs> I'm like, no. Yeah, well, it that didn't last forever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it sure lasted a uh, a long time. I was very lucky. I never had to go to the open stage thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been strong enough. I never would have made it. Uh, I had a piano player, and I was doing all those goofy songs like Nuns and all that mm-hmm. with a live piano player, and I wasn't working comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. I was working any club that had a piano that I could talk into me doing it. And uh, I, I, and I was up there, and I, I started building a crowd mm-hmm. at the Kyber Pass Pub, which is yeah. still open in Philly. Yeah. I started building a, a, a Tuesday night crowd there, so much so that Clay Heary of the Comedy Factory Outlet mm-hmm. came around to see me one night, and he said to me, did you ever think about doing this in comedy clubs? And to be honest, I went, well, well no. He goes, well, how'd you like to do mine? To which I said, how much? <laughs> and that was the beginning of me in comedy clubs. I, I, I didn't even, they were just happening. 
they were just starting to explode. So I didn't do any open stage nights. I was literally hired to be, you know, one of the performers. Now, I didn't get hired as a headliner. Mm-hmm. I got hired as maybe the first guy up, you know, MC. What was it? MC in three acts usually in those days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was hired to be the first guy up. But then I quickly graduated to the next to last guy up and then mm-hmm. to the last guy up within, you know, year or two, actually. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, had to be just a couple of years. I never had to do an open stage night like the one we just described. Mm-hmm. 30 comics standing in the back with 10 people in the crowd. I wouldn't have been able to do that. I swear to Christ, I I could not have been able to have handled that rejection where, where it was completely different for me. They came to me. Mm-hmm. It's such a big difference in life when they come to you. Yeah. And they came to me and said, how's it like to work our club? And if it wasn't for that, I, I don't know what would have happened because I know I would not have been strong enough to do that open stage bit. Yet, you can't name virtually any comic in the history of comedy from Jay Leno to whoever who didn't have to go to the open stage night. It is. It was a very uh, unique thing for me that I didn't have to do it. It's a traumatic it's experience. It's, a trim- it's like it's, when yeah. parents come up to me and go, you know, my son really wants to do stand-up. And I went, well, tell your son, it's really simple. All he's got to do is show up, sign up, and get up there and do it. Mm-hmm. Unlike if you want to be a drummer, you got to find other musicians. you got to rehearse for a while, to, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you want to be in a play, you you, you got to go to a theater and, and then hope that the uh, catching director thinks you're right for that particular part in that show and all that. But stand-up, that's, that's the one good thing about it, even though I wouldn't have had the strength to do it. But it's still, whenever a parent comes up to me and says, my son's thinking of doing it, I go, well, pretty simple. Uh, this place has an open stage night. That place has an open stage night. This one has an open stage night. They got to go every week mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, uh, it's a beating. It really is. They get their time together. It's a beat. Is that I, uh, I tell that, people that proves that proves a Lenny Bruce theory. Yeah, to get ten good minutes up, ten just ten, mm-hmm. or let's say fifteen. Where if you got fifteen minutes, people will start to hire you. Mm-hmm. You know, to do that opening slot. Part. Yeah, or maybe they'll hire you to MC, and it takes like. A couple years to get that together. A, a vicious beating. Painful years. It's a vicious. These, <laughs> now, I had an audition for uh, for Letterman up at Dangerfields once. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I didn't know much about... I, I was really stupid, to tell you the truth. But I had an audition for Letterman, and what threw me was... There were only eight people in the audience. It was at Dangerfields. And there's people think, well, Dangerfields was packed all the time. No, it wasn't. It was packed all the time on weekends. But during the week, there were plenty of nights mm-hmm. where there was like 10 freaking people there. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, I'm forgetting his name at the moment, but the, uh, you know, I at least got to the point where I got an audition. This guy came in. I remember Wayne Carter was there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy came in and stood in the back and, Watched, uh, I think it was five of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got really thrown. They, oh my God, he, this guy's going to, 
he's checking me out tonight in front of eight people. And my first joke didn't do anything. And I started sweating. Mm-hmm. And I bombed. I, I don't even know if I bombed. There were only eight people there. But what I was supposed to know was to ignore the eight people mm-hmm. and just do my best stuff smoothly and as professionally as possible that and maybe it was Bob Morton. It, it, mm-hmm. These guys know. They know. That there's only eight people there. That's what they do for a living. Mm-hmm. They know there's only eight people there. Show me what you got. Luckily for me, I did get another audition for Letterman. I didn't get the gig, mm-hmm. but I killed. Mm-hmm. So had I not gotten that second opportunity, I'm going to carry that around forever. That, you know, oh boy, my one shot of Letterman and I ate it, you know. Uh, but by then, even when I got second spot and didn't get it, even though I did very well, I was starting to realize how the game was played. You know, not one comic in the history of Philadelphia, which all makes between being the fourth largest market in the country and the fifth. Mm-hmm. Fourth, fifth, okay? It's not like it's 10th or 15th. <laughs> You know, Philadelphia has never gotten an act on any late-night television show ever. Now, there's plenty of Philadelphians who have gotten on those shows, but only after moving to L.A. or New York. That's the trick. No one's ever gotten on these shows while living in Philly, Mm -hmm. which is kind of irritating because comics from Boston, comics from Chicago, and comics from San Francisco have gotten on. Leno and Letterman and Colbert and Fallon and all this stuff, uh, but not Philly. That whole reputation that Philly has of being a, you know, the ugly stepsister or whatever, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. It, it, all these years, while living in Philly, no one's ever gotten on. It's annoying. It, 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 they, they never send a talent scout to Philly. It, so, and by then, I was, you know, making real good bread. Everybody knew who I was. It was mm-hmm. a, you know, a little celebrity and everything. I didn't have the need to move to L.A. or New York because I was, you know, making real good dough here. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I now looking back on it, you know, you take a guy like Jim Carrey, he was making quarter of a million dollars a year as an impressionist. Mm-hmm. But he woke up one day and said, well, yeah, that's not where I want to be, though. I want to be a big movie star. So he just stopped his live comedy act and did nothing for a year or two but concentrate on getting a big part in a movie and working it that way and it worked so you know at some point I could have said okay yeah I'm a big deal here in Philly and I'm I'm making good bucks but I want to be more than that so I'm going to have to move to LA and, and do my thing but I just didn't do it I, I, I guess I was in my comfort zone. I had kids by then. You know, uh, you know I would have had to uproot everybody to go out there uh, on a whim, where even at that point in my career, there have been comics from Philly who had already returned from L.A. <laughs> after banging it around out there for a couple of years and getting nowhere. <laughs> so I, I, I was just always afraid to... Uh, make that move. But, like I said, there's people like Jim Carrey who were like, 
sitting around and that 250 grand ain't coming in, mm. but they're patient and they know what they really want. It's a, uh, hey, we're right back to the no regrets thing. <laughs> and uh, I do got it split. Okay. So uh, it's great talking to you. Hey, Big, I just want to say thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you giving me the time. I really, really do. You got it. All right. Thank you, you my friend. Take care. Okay, take care, Big. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks, I know you had a great time. I had a great time. Wasn't it fun? Wasn't it fun? told you it was going to be fun. Thank you once again for spending this time with me. I really, really appreciate it. I can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks for showing me all the love. Until next time, take care.